episode 13 on Friday the 13th, but I'm here. Hello. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the podcast called Everything's Relative with Eve Sturgis. I am Eve Sturgis. I uh, started this podcast because I want to talk about the ways that DNA tests are turning people's lives inside out and upside down because these DNA tests reveal family secrets. It's happening a lot and there are a lot of people who want to talk about it. So I am here. Come talk to me. Um, so much has happened since episode 12. I feel like there's a ton to talk about. Um, including like what's happening in the episode. So I have to get to everything. Um, so the only one very major thing happened here in 2020 in the United States um, in the past two weeks, and that is Halloween. Um, I'm sorry to say my husband and I have probably already eaten all of the Reese's peanut butter cups that we could find in the house. Uh, but Dallas and Margo had a fun time. The other major thing that happened that's maybe more important than Halloween was our presidential election. It was a nail biter, folks, if you haven't heard. Um, and it technically isn't over. There are more steps to be taken. Uh, however, at this time, based on electoral system and the popular vote, it looks as though Joe Biden and Kamala Harris have won. They will replace Donald Trump at the White House. Uh, and I know that a lot of people have a lot of feelings about this. Um, so I want to talk about it for just a second. Um, if you have followed me for more than even one episode, you probably know where I stand on this issue. And it's been on my mind a lot lately because I know there are a lot of NPEs that voted for Trump. Um, and there are probably a lot of NPEs that voted for Joe Jorgensen. And I'm sure there are NPEs who voted for Kanye West. And I know this because DNA surprises and NPEs happen to people everywhere. There is no population of people untouched by this occurrence. Um, and if any population claims that they are, they're untouched, it just means it hasn't happened yet, and it will. Uh, so I believe that a huge contributor to the phenomenon is the historical and present pressure that is placed specifically on women to carry the burden of conception, of pregnancy, of birth control, of secrecy, and of shame. Uh, so until that changes, I am going to keep voting for the party that respects women and fights for their individual rights the most. And for me, uh, that is not Donald Trump. Um, but I know that uh, it's complicated for people um, to tear apart their different wants and needs um, from their beliefs and um, politics. And so I hope you keep listening if, if you disagree with me about that. I hope that you're still getting something. I'm like, don't listen to me. Just listen to the stories. That's totally fine. Um, so that's what I have to say about that today. And also, speaking of women and women's rights and the onus placed on them about so many things, um, this episode is about that. And so, oh God, there's like so much to think about after hearing Jessica's story, after talking with her. I was just... I was like electric um, with thoughts, but um, so I want to set up, set you up a little bit before we go there um, because this is like a story, oh, gosh, I almost wish we could all like discuss it afterwards or something. Um, maybe that's something I'll set up for my Patreon supporters. If you support me on Patreon, I will start setting up Zoom calls to um, have discussions about 
um, especially interesting episodes. Give it a thought. Go to Patreon. Support me um, for as little as $1 a month. Um, and come on in to, uh, to some conversations about this stuff. So what I want to say is that Jessica talks, she tells a story and she's going to talk about some stuff. And so the story is, how do I say this? Like, it's about everything that she says, but it's also about all these unspoken things that she doesn't say, which is so much like the NPE experience anyway, but it's about how you're feeling in your body and your mind. So, um, I just want you to think about like the emotional and physical vulnerability of pregnancy, of sex, of sperm, of what sperm is, where it comes from, um, of fertility, of donor conception, of birth, of like vaginas, just anything. (laughs) Just like think about vulnerability. Um, sorry, I was getting dramatic and I, or I was getting, yeah, I was getting dramatic and getting emotional and I slapped the, the bed, um. I'm si- guys, now you know, I'm sitting in bed for the- to record this. Um, so I'm sorry if you hear some background noise. So, um, all right. Well, that is enough just ridiculous improvising for me. Um, so let's go ahead. Let's play Jessica's story. Uh, this is episode 13, season two, Everything's Relative, podcast with Eve Sturgis. I am Eve Sturgis. I'll talk to you in a little bit. Thanks. And you are calling me from Texas? Yes. Um, okay. Houston. Really, I live in Pearland, um, but Houston's just kind of general area. So good old Houston, Texas. Okay. Were you, were you, is that where you were born? Is your family still there? No. Um, I, most of my family is actually in East Texas. I was born in Nacogdoches. So very okay. East Texas. Super East Texas. Okay. So, well, speaking of you being born, um, that is what we're here to talk about today. Um, So you, let's um, establish right away, you're not an NPE because you knew that you were donor conceived from the beginning. Correct. Yes. Um, But, um, but you have a lot to offer about the, about the ways in which the ways to talk about, um, Hold on. Let me say that sentence again. We're going to edit this out. Um, you, we talk. Okay. So what? <laughs> hey, How, do you, my, I, How do you tell your story? How do you tell your story? Well, um, I guess I don't know if it'd be easier for me to kind of start from really the beginning, beginning, like before I was even a, a thought, but I've known my entire life that I was donor conceived just because my mom was always very, always very transparent with me. She always was, uh, you know, very candid and wanted to make sure that I knew and that that was part of my conception story. And it's something that I honestly, I treasured and to literally any human being or any non-human object that would listen to me, I would talk about it and tell because I was just a chatty Kathy. So. Do you remember, do you remember what, how, how old you were when your mom explained it to you? So as far back as I can remember being three, that is about as young as I can remember. I'm pretty sure my mom talked about it to me before then, Mm -hmm. but that's, that is literally, that is as far back as I can really remember my mom having these conversations with me. And how did she explain it at that time? 
she just told me that, you know, she was, she was really having trouble getting pregnant. You know, my dad just wasn't able to produce and they were recommended to uh, seek fertility treatment with a doctor and at that doctor's direction and help, they were able to conceive me uh, and they just, they had a, a, a donor and, and that was really all I remember my mom telling me is donor until I got older. And then, you know, she started using, you know, verbiage of eggs and sperm. And I really began to, to really piece it all together. Um, but she always gave me a very vivid picture. And when she described what my donor looked like based on what the doctor told her. So right. I, I've just, I've had this image in my head my entire life of, of what he potentially looks like just from a physique standpoint and certain features, but his face has always been when I, you know, dreamed about it or thought about it, his face mm -hmm. has kind of been this blur. Like, I just don't right. know what that is. So why don't you tell me what your, your mom and dad believed that the donor looked like and who right. he was? So my mom always told me that uh, her fertility doctor described the donor as, you know, 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, very, very tall, uh, red hair, loved music, and he was a medical resident at the hospital that I was born at. So I always knew, I'm like, okay, if he was a medical resident as I got older and, you know, was mm -hmm. more educated, understand, okay, he must be a doctor now, you know, and right. he's tall and he loves music, you know, this must be where I get a lot of these things from, you know, I don't have colored eyes like I thought he did, but, uh, you know, that I would have because of him, but I just had this, this picture drawn out in my head of this very tall redheaded man who was a doctor in a lab coat. <laughs> <laughs> who loved basketball and music. And, and that's just, that's what's stuck in my head for the last 30 years, you know? Sure. So. And are you tall? I'm very tall. So it seems, I feel like you're tall. <laughs> I like this from your Instagram. Yes, I'm very tall. I am. I always joke because uh, people always ask me when you're tall, they always ask you these like common questions. Like, so yeah. I'm, I'm actually six, one and a quarter, but I always tell yeah, people, yeah. <laughs> I always tell people I'm five thirteen when they ask just because I like to see their reaction being like, like their mind like spinning. Yeah. They're like, wait, what? <laughs> so, um, but I always joke that I'm five thirteen, but I am six, one and a quarter ish. So, okay. So yeah. So that tracks with like, with a donor that was tall. Yes. Very much so. They, okay. And, um, what color is your hair? My hair is red. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So this, this whole story, like everything's lining up out. Yeah. Everything lined up. So, <laughs> So, so you're, you know that you are um, a donor conceived baby and you've become an adult and now tell me what happens then. So to kind of, I guess, like fast forward, um, after I had my third child about five plus years ago, I started noticing a lot of um, health issues and Doctors were not able to give me any clear diagnosis. They were kind of just throwing random diagnosis at me. You know, they're like, oh, you must be diabetic. That's why you're losing your vision. Oh, you must be this. This is why this is happening. You know, they just were like throwing just blindly diagnosis at me. And so mm -hmm. I actually, I had been to several doctors and I went to see a, um, a GP who was like very much into more holistic things and trying to really get to the root of the problem versus just throwing medications at you and a diagnosis that's probably not accurate. 
So she, she wrote down on a piece of paper at one of my, at my visit and she was like, she suggested that I take a, a commercial DNA test and she specifically mm-hmm. wrote 23andMe and um, a couple of books that I should read just to kind of reset my mind and, and really guide me in, in some sort of direction to get answers. Mm-hmm. So that was in 2018, actually. So fast forward to uh, December 20 or 2019, my brother-in-law bought my mother-in-law a commercial DNA test. She took it, got her results back at the beginning of January, and she was so excited to show us all the stuff on the app. And, you know, I was like, you know what, Jessica, like, why don't you just take one? Like, you had the suggestion to do so, but hadn't done it yet. Correct. Yeah. And I had just, you know, been saying my doctor just told me to do it and I just, I put it off, put it off. And that's just my nature. Like I take care of myself mm-hmm. last, everyone else first. So mm-hmm. of course, mm-hmm. right. So after my mother-in-law got her results in and she was showing us and she was just so excited, I was like, you know what? I'm like, just take the stinking t- test, Jessica, just do it. So I got 23 and me and I did ancestry and health just because that, you know, I figured, okay, this may give me some sort of answers. So early January, 2020 took the test after I got it, it literally sat on my, um, like it's a table in our living room behind the couch, sat there for a handful of days. I, every day I just stared at it before I went to work after I got work. I'm like, Oh my God, why are you not taking, like, I just was so apprehensive. I don't know why I really still don't know why. Finally, Mm -hmm. I took it to work. And one of my, my friends, Ashley was like, Jessica, hurry up and spit in this dang tube and let me ship this off for you. Let's do this. Mm -hmm. So the next day on my way to work, I'm, I'm like, I have it with, I'm literally carrying it with me on my way to work the next day. I'm trying to get enough saliva in this dang tube to (laughs) fill it up to the top of the line. Right. So I do it, put it in the box, put it all back, um, you know, download the app, register it. I take it to work. And uh, my friend Ashley, she's like, Jessica, when are you going to mail this test? Like, I'm tired of procrastinating. And I was like, right. oh, I finally did it this morning. I was like, I'll go today at lunch. I'll just make sure I make time. So that day passes. I didn't go. Of course, it's like four o'clock in the afternoon. I'm still busy. Hadn't taken lunch. Next day comes around. Ashley's like, give me the box. I'm taking it for you now. Took it from me and went and dropped it off at the post office. So, you know, when you take the test, they give you updates. <laughs> they tell you, you know, they're like, oh, it's on its way. Oh, we've received, you know, you get these updates. And so I was like, you know what? quit looking at it. You've waited 30 something years. Quit. You know, it, it, whenever the results are in, they're going to be in. It's not going to be in any sooner just because you're checking it every five minutes. So I was like mentally checked out of it. Okay. And then fast forward to Sunday, February 23rd. Uh, I'm playing in my, my youngest two kids room. My girls were playing dolls, just having, you know, normal Sunday morning, PJs and pajama, you know, PJs and Barbie. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, I'm going to go check my phone real quick. Uh, so I went in my bedroom to picked up my phone just to check messages, see if I had any missed calls from like my mom or whatnot. And as soon as I turn my phone on, I start to unlock it and I get a notification literally that moment from 23andMe saying my DNA results were ready. Mm-hmm. And my heart stopped. Like I got literally, I could just feel from my shoulders up, get so warm full body hives. Like it just, it was almost like time stopped. Mm -hmm. I was just like, Oh my God, you know? And and the reason I took it was for the health stuff. Right. But because I've known my whole life that I could potentially have siblings out there. I just, there was, I was just like, Oh, what if this is the moment? Like, what if I find my siblings? Like, what if there are siblings in here? 
And I, I want to backpedal just for a quick second because there was something that happened in 2007 that made me believe that I would never find any siblings and or who my donor was. Mm. So my, um, my husband was in the Marine Corps and we were stationed in San Diego, California. Um, I was at home with my son and I was watching a friend's little girl and we're sitting on the floor playing and my son's probably like, I don't even know, like nine, 10 months old. And there's an episode of Oprah playing behind me and they were talking about the donor sibling registry. Uh-huh. And that like literally my ears lit up when they mentioned that I was like, oh my God. And you know, there, there's all these people on stage. They're talking about how they found, you know, 19 siblings and blah, blah, yada, yada, yada. So I immediately pick up the phone and I call my mom and I'm like, mom, I need my donor number. I found out that there's this website I can get a membership for. It was like dirt cheap. I don't even remember. It was like 20 bucks or something. But I, but I need my donor number for this platform. Like that is how I'm going to be able to find who my donor is and siblings. So she's like, okay, Jessica, this is normal workday week or weekday uh, during business hours. So my mom's like, I'm going to call you back. Hangs up, calls her doctor's office. They answer and they tell her, she tells them, you know, she's looking for to get her donor number, um, whatnot. And so they're like, you know what, we just, you know, we don't have those records. You know, it's just been so long. And at this point I'm 20 years old. So they should have had, they should have still had my mom's records because they have to keep them for like, once the offspring is 18 years old, plus three or plus seven, I think at least until I'm 21. So they tell my mom that they, they don't have That's her. weird. It is. Yeah. And at the time I didn't know that. I just was like, ugh, mm-hmm. like it just hit me like a ton of bricks. Like that was, that was it. So she tells them, you know, she's looking for a donor number. They say they don't have her records. And then they, the girl who answered the phone actually told her, she said, you know, to be honest, um, at this point in the eighties, they weren't really keeping records of donor numbers. So, you know, even if we could find it, there would have been no name tied to it anyway. So there was really just no, you know, there was no answer. So, Mm -hmm. so when my mom called me back, she's like, Jess, she's like, I, you know, unfortunately I have bad news. They answered, but they don't have my, they don't have my records. They don't have the donor number. They, they don't have anything. So after that conversation, I really just, I honestly thought, you know, like that was it. That was my only shot Mm -hmm. to, you know, that was, that was the puzzle piece I was missing. And there was no other way to get like to recreate this puzzle piece, right? (laughs) It's gone. So all right, so back to 23andMe, Sunday, February 23rd, 1214 p.m. Putting you right in there. <laughs> I literally, I was standing beside my bed next to the nightstand. And when that notification came on, I literally just, I got weak at the knees. I And I hit the floor, literally hit the floor. <laughs> my husband's mm-hmm. like, what are you doing? And I couldn't talk. I couldn't talk. I really like, I couldn't think. And I literally felt like time was just standing still. And I, I don't know how I got it out, but I was like, my results are in. He's like, what, what were like, what? (laughs) So he climbs over the bed and I'm sitting on the floor and I opened the app and you know, you're going through, I I was looking at the ethnicity part because that's like the first thing that when you open the app is what you see. I'm looking and I'm, I'm looking, but I'm not really looking at it. I'm just scrolling. Like I'm really not recognizing what I'm looking at just because my mind is in a totally different place. 
And so my husband's like, Jessica, get to the relatives. Like, where do you find? And so I scrolled past that option probably 12 times because I, again, <laughs> I'm, I'm scrolling, but I'm not really looking like I'm not right, paying attention right. to what's happening. So finally I, I see the, the area where it's like, um, I don't remember the verbiage anyway, but it's something about DNA relatives and mm. I click it and it starts spinning and it was probably a good 15 to 20 seconds, but it felt like eternity watching eternity. Yeah. yeah. Like literally just watching that little thing just spin and spin and spin. So as soon as it starts, it says loading your relatives. As soon as it stops spinning, your matches pop up. And I just like, it, it matched me with three half siblings. And I was just like, oh my God, like, is this real life? Like, do I really have siblings? Is this, th this is really it. So it matched me with two half sisters and a half brother. That's amazing. So, I mean, yeah. it's, it's not, it, it's, <laughs> it's not amazing within like the concept of donor, um, donor clinics and donor conception, but right. to, 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 I'm trying to imagine what it would be like to open it and have it have it be siblings, just like one, two, three. Bam! Um, yeah, <laughs> that's that would feel really, really intense. Because I, I mean, I, you, most people get lots of distant cousins and things like that. So mm -hmm. yes, to have um, to have siblings right away, and three of them would be a lot. Yeah. Yes. So that was it. Was a total shock, and so my husband's like leaning over mouth breathing on my neck like oh my god so he immediately he climbs back over the bed gets his phone and he calls my mom on like on speakerphone so mm -hmm. I'm immediately requesting to connect with three these three half siblings and um on 23andMe now because two of the siblings have their first and last name of course what do you do go to social media like bam <laughs> that's where you're gonna find them right so I immediately go to Facebook and uh search for one half sister who has a full name and a half brother who has a full name. And I immediately find them and, and I click friend, you know, to request their friendship. Mm -hmm. The third half sibling only had her initials, which was mm -hmm. EW. And so I was like, crap, how am I going to find this one? Like, <laughs> right. how am I going to find my initials? Like, I'm just hoping and praying to God that she will be on 23andMe and request my friendship and speak to me and, you know, talk to me. So no sooner than me requesting to connect with the three half siblings on 23andMe and then two half siblings on Facebook, I get the, it's accepted, the friend request for the two half sisters on 23andMe. And then the sister that I found on Facebook, she accepted my friendship. And then I immediately got a friend request from a name that matched the initials. And this is all happening so fast. I felt like it was in slow-mo, but it was not. It was literally, it was like, bam, 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 bam. Right, right. <laughs> so fast. And I was just like, oh my God, is this really happening? So my mom's on speakerphone on my husband's phone. He's like, mom, Jessica got her results in. She has three siblings. And my mom was like, oh, you have got to be kidding me. Huh. And so we're, I, I'm connecting with them. And as soon as the connection is made on uh, Facebook. I'm not even looking at 23 and, and, and me anymore. Mm -hmm. At this point, I'm looking at Facebook Messenger because I get a, a message from both of my half sisters. Mm -hmm. And the first one, and I'll have to read it to you just because as I'm reading this, I'm thinking some other things. So 
the first message that I get is, hi, just check 23andMe. I guess you've seen our relationship. Uh, I guess you've seen the relationship. We're born the same year. And so I'm like, oh my God, we're the same age. Like, this is so cool. (laughs) And this is this sister that only has initials on 23andMe. Mm-hmm. The other sister also messaged me, but because of her circumstance, she has to remain anonymous. So I'm going to exclude sure. part of that conversation. Yeah. But um, so I'm reading this and I'm re- I'm reading it with my eyeballs, but I'm also reading it out loud at the same time because mm-hmm. my mom's on the phone and she's like, oh, my God. Like, we're just, oh, my God. Oh, my God is all we literally can say. And the next message that she sends me is, do you know the details of our birth story? And as I begin to type. I'm thinking in my head, she just thinks I probably don't know I'm donor conceived. So I'm trying to type, hey, first, because I haven't even acknowledged the conversation yet, like replied. I'm like, hey, oh my gosh. And so I'm trying to type, yes, you know, my mom had artificial insemination. I'm like trying to like write out this reply, but no sooner than I can even finish typing her next message, she said, was doctor, and I don't know if I should say the name yet, your mom's doctor. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm trying to answer and I said, Hey, oh my gosh. And then I was, I'm trying to also then delete all the, what I've wrote, you know, and try to reply. She says, hi, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but he is also our biological father. And I, I just, right. I, I couldn't even like, I was trying, I was trying to finish saying that out loud and just mm-hmm. think at the same time. And I read it out loud and I was trying to process what I read out loud and what I read with my eyes. And my mom is like, what? There, There's no way. There's no way. Like how? And, and we're both speechless at this point. Like mm-hmm. there's just no way. Like that is not a thing, right? That's just not that, right? right. <laughs> but I'm like, I'm like, right. Like trying to like talk myself down off this ledge. Like what I just read is, is not correct. Like she mistyped silly, right? you know, like she doesn't know what right. she's talking about. Silly woman doesn't understand the way donor conception works. Right. So I'm like, oh my God. And then, so then I told her because as she t- was typing that to me, the other half sister was also sent me literally almost the identical message. So I'm, you know how you see the notification pop up on your phone. Yeah. So it's like popping up as I'm receiving the message from this sister. So I'm like, oh my God, like, oh my God, you're being like pelted with it. Yeah. I'm just like, holy cow. Like I just, I can't swallow what I was just fed. Like I, I don't, I don't understand. And to be honest, I literally was just so speechless. And my mom is on speakerphone. The uh, you know my husband's phone is in my other hand, and I'm just like, I can't even talk to my mom. I can't. I literally cannot form words. I can't form thoughts or phrases or feelings. Anything. I just was silent. So. I'm just, all I can answer is, oh my God. I think I said, oh my God, like two or three times, honestly, mm-hmm. before I could type anything. And she said, this may, t- you know, this may be too much, but we can three-way call. Cause she was on the phone talking to the other sister as they're both <laughs> typing me. And I'm like, oh. right. I'm like, oh my God. So I, I said, yes, please. And I gave her my number. And within seconds, I was on the phone with both of them. Wow. And it was just, it was so surreal. Like, 
there were so many things happening at one time. Like, you know, it wasn't like, oh my God, I found my siblings. It was like, oh my God, I found my siblings. Oh my God, I found out I'm a product of fertility fraud. Oh my God. Like, <laughs> oh my God. Well, yeah, that, that's, I think, what would be such a, it feels like you just got so derailed. That is um. literally the best way to describe it is 100% derailed because I felt like I was just all smiles and just excitement and all things happy. And I felt like someone literally just flipped a switch, turned off the lights, unplugged the power. Like, I mean, mm -hmm. I just, and derailed is honestly probably the best word to describe it. I mean, you're absolutely 100% accurate in that description. Yeah. I mean, it was such a multi-layered experience to, to be connecting with your siblings at the exact same moment mm -hmm. um, that you're, you're, you're finding out. Um, you know, the dishonest behavior to say the least. Um, exactly. What's ha was happening. Um, that must've, yeah. Uh, yeah. Confusing, I guess. <laughs> it was, it was very confusing and it was just, it was just so hard to understand like how mm -hmm. and why. And, and, and I still, even to this day, eight months into knowing this, I still, I, I, those questions are literally asked numerous times a day. You know, right. I just, so, but that from the time my results came in to getting on the phone with them, I mean, it was, it, it just, it just happened so fast. I mean, it was literally from the moment my results came in to the time I was on the phone was probably less than seven or eight minutes. Like it just, oh, wow. I, yeah. was, I thought you were going to say less than an hour. No, it was, <laughs> yeah. So were you able I mean, are you, um, are you able to articulate like what you were hoping for with siblings? Well, prior to finding out all of this, I, I've always wanted and longed for a sibling connection because my, my brother is 17 years older than me. So I've grown up as, as an only child. Basically, mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. I've been the only, you know, the only one at home. My brother went off to the army when I was born. So I've always wanted that. I've always wanted, you know, siblings that I would, I could be close to and, and have a relationship and, you know, all the silly things, share clothes, argue over boys, stay up late at night, you know, girl talk. Mm -hmm. Just, I mean, all those little, all those little moments that may seem like nonsense and just silly, but I've always wanted that because I mm -hmm. didn't have it. And one of my best friends that I grew up with, um, our moms are best friends and her mother's my godmother. We always told people we were sisters, although we look nothing alike. She's got dark <laughs> hair, tan eyes or tan skin, green eyes. And I'm glow in the dark, white, red hair, <laughs> you know, like light brown eyes. But yeah. we always told people we were sisters because we were so close and we were such best friends. And, you know, our moms were best friends. We grew up together. So I, I kind of, we, we formed that. And so I always hoped for that, but with someone, you know, I was blood related to, mm -hmm. to have, you know, a true blood related sibling or siblings. So, so yeah, you know, I've just, I've always wanted that, that sister relationship and bond and you know, I, I essentially, I kind of had it with my, my best friend and I made that, but it wasn't, mm -hmm. you know, we weren't really, we weren't really sisters, you know, we were best friends. So, right. 
So to have a really real one might be as magical or more fun. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So that, that definitely derailed me, um, that moment, but I will say, and there's, I mean, there, there's so much more to this, but the, the silver lining, and I don't want the silver lining to overshadow or overpower what's really, you know, what really happened and what I'm continuing to fight for. But the silver lining, honestly, is that I, I, I do have siblings and I have a lot more than I ever imagined that I would ever have. Right. Uh, we're currently at 10. So, um, and on the search for more, we're pretty darn close. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been really great having at least my, I I love all my half siblings. I do, even though three of them, I will probably, you know, never get to know, but, um, it's been really great having my, my half sisters, especially because we talk every day. I mean, literally throughout the day, it's like, we can't go an hour without talking to each other. We're in this, Mm -hmm. you know, we're in a group message and we, I mean, it it could be about silly things. It could be about just things that we're going through. And honestly, in the beginning and even to this day, they have been my ride or die, my rock and my mom as well. But because they, they have gone through this, they, they have been in this situation longer than I have they've really been helpful from an emotional and psychological standpoint, to be honest. I've always been Mm -hmm. strong. Like my mom, my mom was very independent. My, she raised me, you know, she, her and my dad divorced or my birth certificate father divorced when I was two. So it's just me me and my mom. And so she's raised me to be independent and, you know, not depend or rely on anyone else. So having this really put a huge dent in me, emotionally and psychologically, it's been phenomenal to have them because it's like every day you wake up and you're like, that wasn't real. You know, like that was a bad dream, you know, Mm -hmm. and you have this emotional hangover every single day. And so it's just nice to have that support, you know, of them. And so, and to be able to you know, not be embarrassed about having these, you know, feelings or just literally wanting to break down and cry in the middle of Kroger because it's hit you, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I hate that this is, you know, that they're a part of this too, that we're all, any of us are a part of this, but it is nice to have them to go through it together, you know? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And at least one is very close in age to you. Is the other one close in age? Yes. So, um, that half sister, um, her and I are only, let's see, four months apart. Okay. So we're, and I'm, so I'm March 87. She's July 87. So, and what's crazy is we also have another half sister who's also the same age as us born the same year, but it's his, his social child. Um, <laughs> social child that is a phrase I have never heard but I think I understand exactly what it means that's his quote-unquote real child yeah correct yeah so he, he what, has, yeah yeah he has three social children that he had with his get children is that what, yeah yeah <laughs> another way of putting with, it right yeah right that he had with his his first wife and then so far confirmed via DNA testing we have seven illegitimate 
and I hate that word, but it's, you know, I don't even know if that's a better way to describe it, but. Right. I mean, so many of these episodes are spent talking about language and how we don't quite have the right words. So, okay. I have questions, but I, but I, I was trying to wait to the end. But you, so you tell me when it's re- when it's time for you, questions. You can dive in. You can ask me any questions, and and I mean, like I said, there's there's so much to this story. So maybe your questions will spark more, because this goes deeper. This is only the outer shell. So right. Well, yeah. So I I kind of want to get into all that. Yeah. Um. Okay. So the questions. So so far. Mm-hmm. Um. So the three of the three of you. Um, ladies know your mm-hmm. sister, your, your three sisters, you, you all know about, um, about this, um, I don't, I mean, it, well, we could say like Ill, illegal or like, we'll get into that, but unethical behavior. Um, but did, does all seven or all seven, was this a surprise for? Yes. Okay. Yes. It was a surprise for all. So the oldest of us seven that are from fertility fraud, basically mm-hmm. best way to describe it. Yeah. Um, the oldest one, he didn't know who his donor was until about two years ago when the half sister, I was like, her name's Eve. You guys have seen mm-hmm. it. I know. Um, yeah. She actually found me on Facebook recently and I was so I excited to read the article today. I mean, it's only yeah. my, like I, you've never, ever, ever meet anybody named Eve. And, um, and yeah. so when she, so I noticed her on Facebook recently and was like, oh my gosh, it's an Eve. Oh my gosh, she's an MPP. Oh, blah, 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 blah. And then when I was reading the article earlier today, I was like, oh my God, it's Eve. It's that Eve. It's her sister. <laughs> yes. Yes. So, uh, you know, when we originally talked, I told her, I was like, okay, so if all goes well, you know, we'll get to, I'll get to have a conversation with another Eve. <laughs> another Eve. It's a big deal. It is. It is. So um, actually when Eve completely uncovered this whole thing, is when the oldest sibling who actually he has known for over 13 years, he was donor conceived. He's, he was, um, he's older than us. Mm-hmm. Um, and he took a DNA test. And so it just kind of just sat there in limbo with no connections except for like distant cousins. So when Eve's results came in and it connected her, um, and she had initially told this half sibling who she thought the donor was, who she had known for, 13 years. Um, she told him, you know, this is, this is our biological father. Well then lo and behold, it comes that it, that's not actually their biological father. And this- so she thought it was somebody else. She thought mm-hmm. she figured it out. Right. And so and until she was wrong. Okay. Correct. Yeah. So until she talked to a first cousin and, and traced it back to our actual father, biological father, um, that's when it was discovered. So of us seven, none of I kind of have to like phrases. Um, so almost all of them did not know they were donor conceived all of their life until. Right. I, well, I was like, that's almost, that's just one of my separate questions um, yeah. that I had written down. Um, so, so we can do this in a two part, yeah. <laughs> two part question. Yeah. One, did anybody else know they were donor conceived? And the answer is basically no. Correct. Yes. Basically no. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so they've all processed it in, in different ways, I'm sure. Correct. Um, the, the, they've, go ahead. I was going to say the boys seem to process it differently than the girls. And I hate for it to kind of be a divide. Like the girls are processing it this way and the boys are processing it this way because 
there's bits and pieces that are similar, but there's bits and pieces that are they're polar opposites. So most of us have, we didn't really have a father-like figure in our lives. And if, and if there was, they weren't a good father figure or they weren't really present. So that presents quite a conflict internally when you're processing this whole thing and trying to separate the deception behind mm-hmm. our conception and the fact that now you've found your biological father. Because there's a part of you, and I mean, there's a part of me that still... I feel a lot of guilt. I feel, you know, I feel there's a lot of me that feels robbed and I I feel like they probably feel this way too. Robbed of, okay, now that I know who my biological father is and for them just finding out they were donor conceived and then all this, but Mm -hmm. there's a part of me personally, just speaking that I'm robbed. Like I will never, there's so many ways I played out meeting my biological father for the first time and they didn't go that way. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I figure, oh my God, like it's going to be this moment in a movie where I'm going to like literally see him for the first time and take off running towards him and just hug him as tight as I can hug him mm-hmm. and look at his, look in his eyes, like listen to his voice. You know, what is his demeanor? Is he a hand talker like me? Does, you know, like mm-hmm. do we have the same ears? You, just trying to f- like find similarities and, and having that beautiful moment. Right. But I'll never have that because to him, I'm a transaction. And, you know, so the Which way could have, go ahead. The, um, I, I guess this is a little bit of devil's advocate and I'm sure you've heard people say this, but that could happen even if it had been a legitimate. Right. You know, conception. that, that is very true. That is very true because I, you know, if there's donors out there that maybe don't ever want to have anything to do, they were just like, all right, I'm donating peace out. Like, I don't want anything, you know, like that's it. That's, Mm -hmm. that's the extent of my relationship is I just made a donation. So yeah, you're absolutely right. It it can definitely happen and and it, I'm sure it is happening and it will happen. You, you know, you just have this preconceived notion of how things will go down. You know, you, you have them played out in your head and this picture painted and. Absolutely. No, no, I, I agree. I, I, I think of that for sure. Um, and he, (laughs) As, and and I don't want to jump too ahead in the story, but so mm-hmm. does 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 um, this doctor at this time know that all of you know? Yes, okay. he is. He's very aware, absolutely aware that he's we all not reached out a loving fatherly. Oh no. No, 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 no! Just to clarify, yeah, we're talking no. hypothetically, but really, we already know that he did not. Um, offer himself as a maternal figure now that you all know who he is. Correct. Yeah. He does not want anything to do with all of us except for one, the oldest one. So yeah. And and I don't even know the extent to that relationship. I just know that there has been communication, a physical meeting, communication on the phone Uh, that has happened and is, I think still going on um, just since July. So but to the, for the rest of us, we are a transaction, and that is it. I'm just um, we talk in season one. I talked with um, two donor conceived people for di- for 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 different reasons, different episodes. Carla and Joy, um, and <laughs> we laughed about it then. And I just like have to do it now. Is that we have to just kind of talk about sperm for a minute? Mm-hmm. 
Um, so, so to, cl- so to sort of clarify what this guy was doing, or do you know what he was doing? Um, or yes. like, is the idea, so the, I just get like, so stumbled up right, right here every time. Like, this is the third time I've done it. And I'm like, I don't know, like sperm masturbating. Ugh. Like yeah. I just get like really uncomfortable. I don't know what to ask. It's, it's definitely a really uncomfortable conversation. Um, I will say so to kind of just give a little bit of backstory, my mom uh, went, she started seeing this fertility doctor under the direction of her regular doctor in 1984. She went to him for two and a half years uh, for fertility treatment, doing artificial insemination. She would go two, three, four times a month. Um, At each appointment, she would pay for sperm, you know, sperm that she had selected from a donor catalog. Mm -hmm. So, so she had picked out, like, I want a really tall redhead who loves music. Right. Well, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Kind of- right. <laughs> there was traits that she had picked out based on the donor catalog. And so at this time, it was in the 80s. It was in the midst of the AIDS pandemic. So there were specific protocols in place. You know, fresh sperm was not allowed. It was all had to be um, California Cryobank was the only cryobank at the time that was allowed to accept, you know, to, to basically sell their donated sperm. So, oh, yeah. Jessica, you just like, un- I yeah. never thought of that. Okay. I mean, I already knew it was all gross and unethical, but. Yeah. But. Okay. But this is a whole nother. Yeah. Okay, I'm telling layers, you. Layers. I have layers. so many questions and I wish all of your siblings were here right now. I'm suddenly getting this whole idea well, of how I much I want to know. Well, I will tell you, well, we should definitely do one with uh, my other siblings uh, because there's some that will definitely be on here. And there, there's, oh my God. It's the best. So okay. So, okay. So, so we're mm-hmm. okay. So it, so as far as we've talked about this a little bit before, um, but but and what part of why I wanted you to come on here was to talk about how the donor industry is very like unregulated, correct, in a lot of ways. But yeah. you're now telling me that mm-hmm. in 1984 there was at least one rule. Right. Which was that you couldn't have fresh sperm and it needed to come from California Cryobank. Correct. And so they could, they could do, um, they would, they would screening. Right. Thank you. Yeah. So the, the protocols were, um, the sperm was to be, the donated sperm was to be frozen for a minimum of six months, quarantined, and then retested before then, you know, then basically shipped out and purchased. So there was a specific protocol, right? And so with him being a doctor, he's exposed on a daily basis to bloodborne pathogens. And so he was not being tested for HIV and and all these other things. And because this was the AIDS pandemic, this was that, you know, these were the years that this was going on. So um, my mom had these treatments, like I said, two, three, four times a month, she would call when her temperature was right. And, you know, she was ovulating, yada, yada, yada. And she would pay for a donor based on this donor catalog, and then she would be inseminated. And to be inseminated, you, you know, you, you go into a treatment room, you're, you get undressed from the waist down, stirrups, feet up, your pelvic is prepped, you have to, your body temperature has to be a certain temperature. And then the sperms, you know, the specimen is then you're inseminated with it. Mm-hmm. Well, um, my mom had many miscarriages during that two and a half years, many, many mm-hmm. miscarriages. And it, it was, it was awful. Plus prior to that, she had lost a newborn child due to hospital neglect. And oh. it, it was, it, my mom has just literally been through so much. So part of this, the reason, and we'll talk about it in just a minute, but I'm doing this for her. Mm-hmm. So to do a fresh donation 
was really not what was supposed to have been done during this period because of the AIDS pandemic. And and that was one guideline is that sperm was to come from California Cryobank because they were properly quarantined. They were frozen for that six month period of time and then retested or rescreened. So upon my mom's, the day that she um, actually had me, you know, that she conceived me June 6, 1986. I wish I knew the time. <laughs> I'm all about time stamps. But um, her fertility doctor recommended, you know, he was like, he suggested, let's do a fresh donor. And my mom was very much against it because this is a small town they're coming from. All these small towns, everybody knows everyone in every small town in, this, in East Texas. And she just was worried about accidental incest. And, you know, most people in East Texas, they stay because your family's there, your family farm is there, you're, you know, like people just don't leave. And so my mom was just very worried about that. But he, he reassured her, you know, he, he's a medical resident at Nacogdoches Medical Hospital and, you know, you know, residents, they go all over. So, you know, and he, you know, he's a doctor, he's educated, he's, you know, six, six or six, five tall redhead, you know, gave all those, all those demographics. Yeah. So my mom finally, you know, agreed. She was like, okay, all right, well, I guess let's do this. Well, after research, after all this, I've confirmed that Nacogdoches Medical Center or Hospital has never been a teaching hospital. Therefore, there have never been medical residents at this hospital since its existence, (laughs) which goes beyond when, you know, when this was Mm -hmm. happening. So it's just, there's so many lies, but sperm was supposed to have come from a cryobank and been screened. You know, that's what the patients are consenting for. That's what they're, you know, that's what they're, they're consenting to, they're assenting to. And so he, so, so even in that moment with your mom back in June, Mm -hmm. um, he was already suggesting that like he had like a black market. Right fresh sperm mm-hmm. access. So yep. already he was kind of like, well, I have this other yeah, this okay. other way. Mm-hmm. And then, but that was like a, totally just a, like a bold face lie to her face. Absolutely. Because he was the black market sperm. Yep. And Okay. You keep talking. (laughs) All my questions just get so, I get so, honestly, I get so caught up in the idea of this man. Yeah. Doing like his, in in his office. Yep. Like, I don't understand. I'm like, was he in the bathroom? Was he doing it right then? Like, how fresh was it? Like, was it, like it gets it, real gross real quick. It does. And, you know, to, to make it even more graphic is that sperm only lives outside the mucosa area for 30 minutes max. Oh no. So (laughs) that is how, that is how fresh it was. 30 minutes or less. (laughs) Wham, bam. Thank you, ma'am. Okay. Yeah. It's so just, so, you know, no, these are the questions. Like these are the answers I wanted. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Okay. 30 minutes. He. All right. Yeah. Okay. Next room or his office, which was down the Mm -hmm. hall. But the thing is that, the way my mom describes him, and I'll have to read you this little, you know, paragraph my mom kind of put together after she kind of got herself together mm-hmm. after finding all this out. But 
he is a very well-known man. He is. He's still to this day. You know, people protect him. They're like, you know what? He's a good Christian man. He, you know, he would do no wrong. And if he thought that that's how it should have been done, then that's how it should be. It's just that kind of backwards thinking. But he, you know, you, you're a very, in a very vulnerable place and time. Number one, just going to your gynecologist, right? Being a female, you're, it's a very vulnerable time. You're again, you're half naked from the waist down, sometimes waist up, just open gown to the front, right? You're naked and beat her up. Your lady parts mm-hmm. are wide open, you know? And so you, you put a lot of trust into this, this person. And if you're going through fertility treatments, number one, at that point, you're already, you've already beaten yourself to death thinking that you're broken. Something is wrong with you. Why can't you create a child on your own? Why are you having to do this? You know, like there's just all this, of these other layers, again, more layers that are going on. And yeah, you're just, you're literally, you're putting 100% of your trust and you're like, please, I just, I just want a child so bad please help me. You, you're helpless, you know? Yeah. There's something I hadn't, yeah, there's like a level of that that I had just never considered about the the vulnerability of sort of placing your, so, not only your, yeah. your physical medical trust exactly. in somebody, you know, like and, and for, like, for anyone, whether it's going to be your first child or your 10th or what, but for my mom, she has had a, a very traumatic upbringing, but losing a newborn child, a newborn baby, and trying and trying and trying Mm-mm. for 13 years to, you know, Mm-mm. miscarriage after miscarriage or, you know, whatnot. And then, and then to finally find that there's a, there's possibly an answer. There's possibly a way you can have a child. Of course, there's going to mean, you know, it's going to, science is going to intervene and, you know, a medical doctor, but you're going to be able to have that baby. You just, you just have this, like, I don't know, but it's, so mm-hmm. you, you put all your trust in this person and you, you're just like, please help me, you know, okay, whatever you think I need to do, you know, you, you put that trust into them and you don't think that they're going to hurt you or do something wrong to you or do something unethical. You trust them to do the right thing. They're a doctor. They take that oath, you know? And so mm-hmm. to, to ultimately find out that you were number one, you were deceived, you were violated you were lied to. There was just, there's just so many things, but I, I think to kind of circle back to, you know, Sony, that I hate to say that there's, there's a way that the girls are processing and there's a way that the boys are processing of the siblings. And this, this comes Mm -hmm. full circle to this, this, because men don't go through what women go through when it comes to pregnancy or fertility or literally just going to a gynecologist or yeah. You know, yeah, they get their prostate yep. check, cr- turn your head, yeah. cough, whatever. And I get that, that that's not fun. You know, like that's no, not fun. Not that's vulnerable in its own way. But it's exactly, it's, it's not, not the same. The same. Right. And one of my half brothers explained it to me. He's like, you know, like I totally, I get it, Jessica. But here's the thing. Women, the moment you get that positive pregnancy test, you're a mom. Like, you're like, oh my God, this is it. Like, I'm going to have a baby. You're a mom. That second you pee on that stick and there's a, you're a mom, (laughs) you know, but for men, it's not that way until that baby comes out and they put eyes on it, then they're a dad. So then that connection happens. And so that I, I, you know, being a woman and knowing what we know and feeling what we feel, we don't understand how they don't understand that. But when my half brother explained it to me that way, I'm like, you know, I get it. And it makes sense. 
but I still like, I still don't, I want you to understand this side of things, you know? Because, and this is because your, your half brothers recognize the unethical, the unethical element happened, but right. don't seem to 100%. be as bothered by so, it. All, okay. all of the, yeah. the half brothers that are, you know, from the same circumstances as we, you know, the, us seven, they don't, they, it's like, mm-hmm. they're like, you know what? Yeah, it was wrong, but I have you guys. Like, and it's just that overshadows and then the, all the unethical right. behavior is just swept under the rug. And it's like buried in the sand mm-hmm. kind of thing. And, and I, it doesn't seem to, and of course I, I'm not going to speak for anyone but myself, but it just doesn't seem to really have done the damage to them as it does us. And I'm thankful for that because I don't want anyone else to feel this way or be going through this or disrupt any more lives because that, you know, it sucks. It fucking sucks. And so I've mm-hmm. said that to, to that brother. Sure. I'm like, you know what? Sure. I'm, I'm actually thankful that you don't feel this way. I, I wish you would understand on this side of things, but I'm thankful that you don't because it fucking sucks. You know I mean? It's just not, not good. Mm-hmm. It, it's not okay. It's not cool. So, but I, that part of it, like being a woman and going through all that and, and the, those vulnerable times, it's, it's a bit easier for women to understand the, the deception and, and all the pain that comes from discovering this situation versus. Yeah. It's like a psychological. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah. I mean, with, with, with human tissue, with the medical device, you know, it, it's yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, um, so in the past eight months and, and you, um, since connecting with your half sisters and, um, and Eve is very active in this, yes. um, in this sort of advocacy awareness and, and like legislation of this as well. Um, what kind of things have you found out about, well, uh, fertility fraud? You mentioned earlier that, this industry is just, there's not a lot of regulations to be honest. And that's why there's so many people that come from overseas or out of the country to have fertility treatment here, because in the U S especially, there's not a lot, there's not a lot of regulations. You know, it's projected to be a $15.4 billion industry in the next year to two years. That's insane, right? To have minimal reg, $15.4 billion. It's projected to be a $15.4 billion industry by 2023. And right now, one of eight women struggle with fertility. And that's not even including the LGBTQ community. Like, that's not even including them. Right. And so that's one thing that I literally, my my Mm. jaw has hit the floor on is like, why are there not more regulations? Like, I just, I don't understand it. Why? Number one, like, why should this have had to have been a law back then for people to not do it? It's unethical. Just don't do it. You know what I mean? Like, it just, to a normal human being, you just know, don't do unethical things. Like, why does there have to be a law? But but there wasn't. Right. And so, therefore, it wasn't illegal when he was doing this. And more than 2% of doctors in the 80s, were fertility doctors were actually doing this, which is more than it was on average in the early eighties, they were averaging about 2% of fertility doctors were doing this. We're using their own firm. Mm -hmm. We're doing this. So two, that's so 2% 
of donor conceived mm-hmm. babies or in the eighties, early eighties, find find out that mm-hmm. find out that, that it was their doctor. Yep. May may find out it was their doctor. Okay. So th- those are some, it is, I mean, it's just, it's, it's mind blowing. 2% doesn't sound like a lot, right? But in, in this industry, you know, it's just, it's crazy. I just. So do you think, do you think that, or I, you know, maybe he's even said, cause you, I know you, um, there's been a little bit of connect of uh, communication with, with your um, mm-hmm. biological father. Um does he think he, he was doing a good thing? He thinks that he was, first it was a lot of lies saying it wasn't, he didn't do this. And then it turned into, oh, I went back and got my donor sperm from the early 70s from UTMB Galveston. I went back and bought it in the late 80s. I went back and bought it and brought it back to East Texas. We're like, okay, that's that's not a thing. Like, <laughs> once it leaves your body, don't eat it. <laughs> Yeah, like, weird, yeah, weird move, dude. No, weird bro, move, dude. Pump yeah. the brakes, bro. Okay. Like you're. I thought you were smart, but, um, you know. So that was, that was initially. You know, it was like, oh, I didn't do this. Oh, well, actually, I I went back, you know, and got my donor sperm, and I bought it and brought it back, and I was using that one or two times. So it turned in from one or two times to now because there's seven of us that it's like, okay, now he, right. we've gotten information that's potentially up to fifteen of us. But, and siblings don't count, which in this group, they're siblings. So that's kind of crazy. Um, Like real legit siblings. And um, so his thing is, you know, I was just trying Mm -hmm. to do a good deed. And, you know, we, why are we just so ungrateful? Why don't we just, you know, appreciate what he's done for us? He's given us life. It's a major narcissistic. Yeah. That was my next oh, question. Was, do you think he's a narcissist? <laughs> when you said he went back yeah. to get it, when he, when you said the going back oh. to get my sperm thing, I was like, oh, only a narcissist would be like, even if even if that no, is a true yeah. story, and I, I don't believe that he did that, but only a narcissist would be like, that'd yeah. be awesome if I could go get all yeah, my exactly. sperm from his career. Yeah, I'll go find it all. Years. Yeah, my sperm was so yeah. My sperm is pretty yeah. great. I'm so, gonna go back and yes, find 100% it. One hundred percent narcissist. Uh, I. 100% think he has a God complex and just, but yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, he, he thinks he was doing a good deed and that we need to be grateful. That's it. Hmm. And speaking of God, God, God complex, um, there's also an element that you haven't talked about. Um, mm-hmm. I think tell me and if I'm wrong, we'll just take this out, but, um, Oh, he was present yes. for your birth. So when my mom went into labor with me, my, my birth certificate father actually wasn't there. And so, um, she got admitted to the hospital. They got her in the room. They called the doctor and said, you know, you know, my mom was ready, you know, she's in labor. And so he came in, checked her. He's like, you know what, I'm just going to go home, shower, eat dinner, and I'll come back in a few hours, you know, cause it's going to still going to be a while. My mom said no sooner that he walked out of the, the hospital room doors, the doors shut. And then reopened and he came back in and he waited in the room with her. And I can't remember the time, but I do know that it was longer than an hour. It was like a couple of hours that he waited in the room with her while she was in labor for her to then go into active labor to deliver me. And after my delivery, he even stayed in the room longer until my birth certificate father got there. Very weird. And so now looking back, my mom 
just replaying that in her head, she's like, he knew. He knew that that was his child. Right. Like that. No other doctor is gonna at late at night gonna sit in the hospital where he can go home. You know, like if they're on call, they're on call. You know, he lives like two minutes from the hospital. He's not. You know, it's not a big town. It's not a big city. It, it's a small town. You know, so he knew he was there. He delivered me, and he he was there after my birth for quite a bit of time. I wonder. Gosh, when I imagine being in your mom's shoes and I I think what comes to mind is like being you like part of the violation is that she was for mm-hmm. I'm imagining and I'm so I'm not I'm I'm, I'm yeah. not putting words into your mother's mouth but I like she was used yep. for his god complex. Yep. Like he used her body. I'm yeah. just trying to think of more ways to describe like the psychological violation. Like he used her body right. for his to feel powerful. Um so sure he could be there as a doctor and he could say he was he was being um a gentleman as a doctor because your mm-hmm. birth certificate father wasn't there but now knowing the exactly. truth there's just no way not to to think mm-hmm. of that other layer it just must must feel very much confusing so. and and inexplicable. Like, I just don't, you, you, yeah, I don't quite have the words, but there's something. You know, and it, it's foreign, right? It, it's foreign to, like, the, it's like, you know, and not that death is ever easy, but it's something that you find familiar. You know what I mean? You, you have familiar feelings like sadness and this whole thing, none of it's familiar. There's no playbook to like, I mean, like we joke about like, even I were like, we're going to need to make a protocol book for every new sibling. Like here, here's the, here's the welcome packet. We'll do an orientation and we'll, totally. you know, we'll, yeah, there's no playbook to this and, and none of this is familiar to any of us to navigate through, but we're trying, you know, we're just trying to navigate through every emotion and every feeling that is, you know, that is present or pops up or, you know, it's just, it's just, it's an unfamiliar situation, you know, it's just, and all the lies. And I just, I'm a very strong person. Again, my mom taught me to be strong and independent, but this breaks me for my mom. Like I just, for Mm -hmm. everything she's been through and whether she's been through none of that traumatic upbringing, it's not okay. It was never okay. Whether it was illegal or not, it was 100% unethical, bottom line. And the fact that he doesn't acknowledge what he's done, you know, a, a good person, a normal human being with a heart and a soul would say, you know what? I am so sorry. I'm so sorry I did this to you. I didn't mean harm. I, I was just trying to do good. And you know, it wasn't, it wasn't illegal back then. Yeah, it was unethical, but what can I do to help? Like acknowledge the pain, acknowledge what you've done wrong and and apologize. And this, this could play out totally different than it's, than it's going to continue to play out. You know, it's, he just refuses. He, he is not sorry. He is 100% 100% okay with what he did and feels he did absolutely nothing wrong and literally has such a huge ego that 
even with this whole thing we're pursuing with the Texas Medical Board, he doesn't think anything's going to happen to him. He literally has that large of an ego that he's like, nah, nothing's, I'm, I'm good. I'm golden. Wow. It, <sighs> wow, wow, wow. And um, what, um, and, and have you, have you and your siblings connected with other, um, other donor conceived um, people who, who are yeah. born in fertility fraud and, and are working on that kind of thing? Have you guys, you guys have your own sort of like networking yes. community? Unfortunately, of, of it's actually a large community. You know, I, I, it's, unfortunately it is. <laughs> and so, um, you know, connecting with them and, and linking arms with this legislative stuff that that we're pursuing. It's been therapeutic, to be honest. I hate to say that in this whole circumstance, but again, it's it's all unfamiliar for us, but to be able to talk to someone who's in the same boat as you is kind of nice. You know, it's... Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, I mean, that's huge. And, and, and I think having a, having a project mm -hmm. um, can be incredibly healing. Um, Exa yeah, get, exactly. Get busy, get and, better. Know, um, one thing with this is that, and again, I'm, I'm only going to speak for myself is, and I know that my mom is not, you know, not taking this well, you know, but I mean, I'm suffering. And at first I was really hesitant. I'm a natural sharer. Like I'm a social media junkie. I love social media. I love sharing all the things in my life because my kids are crazy. My life is wild and chaotic. Like I just, I'm a natural sharer. So when I found this out, I'm like, oh my God, like, I, I, ugh, you know, like I either, I'm, mm -hmm. uh, you know, again, them lost for words. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not going to share this. Like, this is, this is dark. This is evil. And that that's not me. I'm the cheery one. I'm the one at the morning huddle at work. That everybody's like, pipe down, Jessica, bring it down a notch. You're up here. We're down here. We hadn't got our day start. Like I'm that natural cheerleader, just you know, silly, fun all the time, but this has broken me. This has literally brought me into darkness and, and mm. I hate it. I, I'm not, I'm not me anymore. I, I'm, but if I don't acknowledge that trauma, I, I'll never be able, you know, I'll never be able to heal. And so I, I share mm. and I, I, all my, you know, people, my friends and family that follow me and people that don't know me, but follow me. I, whenever I finally decided that I, I'm going to do this, I'm going to share all of this. I, I, I repeat myself and I tell them, you know, I promised I would share the good, the bad, the ugly stuff that I don't want to talk about stuff that, mm -hmm. you know, it's just, it's embarrassing. You know, I don't even know if embarrassing is the right word, but, but uh, being able to, yeah, do that. It, it's hard. It's so hard. But, I, you know, writing my feelings down or just taking like short little clips, like on my way home from work, when I have that moment of silence, like, how am I feeling today? Like, what is going through my head? Like, and, and sharing that, even though people are probably like, oh, my God, here we go again with fertility. You know, it's like I find I find it therapeutic to share my feelings and, and it helps me to kind of filter through what I'm feeling versus bottling it up and letting it fester and turn into something, you know, worse. So that mm -hmm. that has been very therapeutic for me is is sharing that with my friends and family and complete strangers but 
No, but I, I think it's important. And I hope that, you know, even if I could just help one person to get through this, if they're, this is, you know, their new circumstance or they've been going through it, then I've, you know, then I, it, it makes me feel better about sharing, you know, what I'm, what I'm going through and, or, and my siblings too. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think somebody, um, somebody said recently, um, my story becomes the next survival guide yep. guidebook. Mm-hmm. Right. Survival guide. Yes. And um, that's, that's been going around lately and that really resonates really strongly with me. Um, and it, it sounds like that's, that's Absolutely. something that's also working for you. Um, so, so mm-hmm. um, on that, if somebody is hearing this story right now um, and wants to reach out or find more about the fertility fraud community, what do well, you suggest they do? Is there are there websites or just hashtags? Um, oh, not just hashtags. Hashtags can be powerful, but so what, there, how do they? What there do they are do? several groups on Facebook. Um, there's uh, donor deceived groups. Um, Facebook, you can just type in donor deceived. Uh, there's also um, a web page mm-hmm. that actually Tracy and our donor deceived community has uh, put together. And I believe I'm pulling it up right now. I believe it's donordeceived.com. And I'm just going to type that in to make sure that I um, have that correct. But I believe it is donor or maybe donordeceived.org. I believe that that's actually correct. But yes. Yeah, donordeceived.org. And um, so this this is a great resource for, um, you know, if you're just discovering or you've known but you haven't really dove deep into it, it gives you a lot of, um, a lot of information on, you know, donor doctor fraud and, you know, permission fraud and large, like these, you know, super donors you've got these large donor group siblings that are, you know, 40, 50, 80, a hundred, 200 group, you know, siblings. Um, so there's, there's some really good information on there. And if really the, the Facebook groups are really great as well, because then you can interact and ask questions and, you know, it kind of, it gives you again, more people in your boat to, to relate to and, and really help you kind of filter through all this and, and navigate through all the feelings and emotions that, that come along with this, because you will feel if you're anything like me, any and all emotions that are humanly possible at any given moment and any given day. (laughs) And, you know, like I mentioned earlier, you wake up feeling like you have an emotional hangover and you had a horrible dream. You're like, it's not real. Or you're like waiting for, Ashton Kutcher to jump out and be like, you're on candy camera, you know, like you just like are just waiting for that moment. You're like, there's no way this is my life. There's no way this is my circumstance. It just, there's just no way. So, but those, those are great resources, 100% great resources for those in the same situation. Amazing. Um, And um, you said your mom mm-hmm. is struggling with all of this, um, understandably. Is, is there, um, is the same community able to support yeah, so, the mothers? Um, I, I believe there are okay. parents in there. There's also another group on Facebook and it's, um, I need to look it up, but it is, it's like recipient parents. It's a recipient parents group. Okay. And, um, 
I'll have to look up the name of it, but, but honestly, they can go on Facebook and search in recipient parent, you know, of donor or artificial insemination. But it, I believe it starts with re- like recipient parents right. um, on there. Okay. So it's, that's a great area, you know, to, to be in for parents, for those like my mom. And I, I'm hoping there's other groups out there. Um, I just really haven't, to be honest, dove that deep into searching for groups beyond what I'm in right now. So. Yeah, no, I mean, and, and, and yeah, I, I'm, I was just, I was just curious and I never, I could have probably sat here and written out, I don't know, 40 different phrases for how to describe what your mother was. And I would mm-hmm. never have come yeah. up with recipient parent. So <laughs> that's exactly why I was asking. Um, just yep. wouldn't know. Wow. Um, okay. And can I, um, w- um, in my, uh, mm-hmm. in my intro, which I'll do later, can I talk Absolutely. about the yeah. New York um, Post article? Yeah. New York Post. And that, I mean, it's so. in, um, several other, uh, platforms as well. Texas Observer, iNews UK. Um, I mean, that's there. I have tons of links. Links I can send you where they've they. Yeah, I'll send them to you. Yeah, oh, but yeah, definitely uh, New York yeah. Post. Okay, great. I did a story, uh, which is great. It was actually shocking that they had someone come down during COVID, <laughs> too. <laughs> so that was those kind of. <laughs> um, fun, I guess. Uh, but yes, absolutely. Yeah, it, it's so validating too. again. It, everything it just seems so surreal. It's just like I, I'm just re, you know, I'm just retelling something from a movie, but it's my life. <laughs> so I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. I know how you feel. So yes, absolutely. You're more than welcome to share. Okay, cool. Wow, thank you so much, Jessica. I feel like you have shed light on. Something that is just, I mean, similar to the NPE, NPE phenomenon, like this is actually something very common and is another way that DNA testing is like mm-hmm. turning people's worlds upside down. Um, but it's just like, uh, it's also this sort of next layer, other layer, it's not, it's not another, next, but it's, um, it's another layer and it's, um, yeah, it's uncomfortable to say the least. So no, thank I you really so much for talking to me about you it. allowing me to, I just... Um, I feel like if we can get our, you know, our story out as far and as wide as possible that, you know, again, if it can even just help one person, you know, filter through all this and and navigate through it, then I'm just grateful that, you know, at least one person has been able to, you know, be helped. So, yeah. No, I am, I am 100% sure that at least one person will be helped by this. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm actually sure it will be more, but, um, but, but I can, I can, I can, yeah. sure, I can definitely tell you one. Um, I mean, even me, like, I mean, it's like, depends on your definition of helping, but I mean, I just feel like my mind has been um, really blown open tonight about, about yeah. more about this industry and the idea. And I'm just having this, um, this whole separate sort of wheel going on in my brain right now about mm-hmm. thinking about the vulnerability of fertility and um, how much, how much of an industry it's built on people mm-hmm. wanting something so bad that they, yep. that they'll do anything. Um, 
Yeah. So interesting. Yeah. Thank you so much. So yeah. And, and um, I mean, I'll talk about this later anyway, but um, like we actually didn't even talk, we didn't even talk about half your story. Like, I mean, only cause like, I, so I was like, yeah, send me those links so I can post them. Cause but it's, um, so that I can tell everybody Absolutely. to go read all the details. Um, so they can get everything, but, um, yeah, but it's all really late for you out there in Texas. Um, so thank you for giving me a late thank night you. on the school night. And, um, and I will be in touch with you. Uh, it will awesome. be very thank soon. You. And I will say you've just, I really appreciate your time, but one, one word of advice I will give just because I was just thinking this in my head is that to just, mm -hmm. if this is something they're uncovering because of a DNA test or because they're, you know, parents, family decide to tell them, but just to take it slow or as fast as you're comfortable with mm -hmm. and really like lean into, to those around you because it's really the, the only way you're really going to be able to get through it and to not let it bottle up. There's, there's so much secrecy behind fertility treatments and, you know, being donor conceived. And so just lean into those who support you and who are, you know, around you. And if, if you're trying to lean in and people aren't supporting you, lean in a different direction because, I've been hurt by so much, so much of my family through all this because, I, you know, I was told to keep my mouth shut and to quit stirring up trouble and the way I've been treated is just, mm. I, I just, I never would have imagined that I would have been treated this way and the victim shaming that comes along with it. So lean into those who support you and, you know, who love you. And if you're leaning in that direction and they don't lean another direction, you know, because they're, it's just, it's hard enough. And then to get pushback and ugly words and things thrown your way, it's, it doesn't make it any easier. So just take it as slow or as fast as, you know, as you're comfortable. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for saying that. Um, I think that that that's excellent advice um, in this community um, and the and the broader community to the two the two big pieces, mm -hmm. which are to take it slow. Um, and 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 I love the way you phrase that to lean in to the people that support you. And if they're not supporting yep. you, lean a different direction. Um, I love that. Well, thank you. I yeah, really appreciate you, so much. you listening and letting me talk again. It's super therapeutic to be able to talk about it. So I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, thank, thank you. you. Well, I will be in touch with you. Okay, perfect. Um, I will. Send me all those links. And, um, yeah, we'll get this, we'll get this ball rolling. You'll probably be up within. Awesome. Thank you so like much. I'll be in Appreciate it. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks. Absolutely. Have a Keep great in touch. Night. Okay, Jessica. Bye-bye. All right. You too. I want to thank Jessica again for, uh, making the time and we had to reschedule like, you know, like 47 times all because of me. Uh, she was super patient and flexible. And um, 
she stayed up late for me because we're in different time zones and I just really appreciate um, what she's doing uh, not only for herself and her mother but for the the greater world educating people about fertility fraud and also trying to get some things done about it um, so to quickly uh, go over the the resources that she talked about go to Facebook and you're gonna look for um, for uh, donor deceived and then there's also donor deceived dot org. Um, and something that, you know, came up that when I was talking with Jessica, that's been coming up in the past few weeks anyway, is that I've become so aware of how small like our NPE world is. So I don't know if that's happening to you, but it just seems like everyone knows somebody. And this was such an interesting example of this like tight community, like we're all overlapping and connecting and, um, like you, listen to the story. So you know that Jessica is not an NPE, but she has siblings that are. So I didn't know her before we were talking, but I, I did know at least one of her siblings. So of course I didn't realize they were related because of donor conception. They had different last names, but um, it was just, it just, I don't know. It just, it felt interesting. It felt synchronistic. Um, and um, so I'm, I'm, I'm really interested in that right now. So anyway, um, so yeah, and you know what else I've been I've been talking about in a lot of episodes is how like if you can think of every way an an NPE could be created, um, I'm sure that like someone else could could come up with another way um, to surprise you. And I feel like doctors using their own sperm is not on a lot of people's lists um, unless they've heard of this kind of thing before. So on behalf of Jessica and myself, you're welcome. Um, so anyway, uh, oh, and also check out my Instagram because I will put um, those resources that Jessica talked about on the Instagram. And then she also is going to send me links to, um, she has some, there's some stories like the New York Post had some stuff and and other things I, I talked about. So um, those will be there. So check out my Instagram, make sure you're following Everything's Relative Podcast uh, on Instagram. Just said that. Um, so shifting gears. Before I go, I want to talk about the next episode, episode 14, really quick because I'm super excited and I want you to get excited and ready for it. Um, It's supposed to come out the Friday after Thanksgiving day because everything comes out every other Friday. So that seemed like a hard day to to get a podcast out to everybody or for people to download and listen to it. So I'm actually going to wait until November 30th. So that's the first thing you need to make a note about is that it's not going to come out that Friday. It's going to come out three days later on Monday. But if you have been navigating the NPE world for any amount of time, this is what I'm excited about. Um, You have found this podcast, then you have probably heard of, and hopefully you have listened to another podcast called NPE Stories. And that is hosted by Lily Wood. So Lily and I connected a few weeks ago and we decided to make a crossover episode together. And that is episode 14. Uh, it was so much fun. Um, you know, when you're just like talking to someone and it just feels like you're just, you just know you're definitely going to be friends. Um, beyond the NPE thing, we both have three children. We are the same age. To be honest, I'm older. Um, but, and we just, I don't know, we both are kind of like podcast rookies and we like stumbled through figuring things out together for our episode and we laughed about mistakes we've made in the past and we just, we talked about so much stuff. It was so fun um, and supportive and patient and I had a really wonderful time. So 
I hope that November 30th, this is what's going to happen. She's going to put up her episode um, where she interviews me and I will drop my episode where I interview her at the same time. So you can hop between the two of us uh, as for a little holiday fun <laughs> after Thanksgiving and before Christmas. Um, so hopefully uh, that will introduce listeners to each other and uh, be fun and you get to hear something new. So episode 14, super excited. Tune in. In the meantime, good luck with everything. Uh, head over to Patreon or review review the podcast on um, whatever podcast platform you're listening to. Give it give it some stars or a review. Share with your friends. Come back November 30th when I'm here with Lily Wood. Have a good night. I'm Eve Sturgis, signing off of Everything's Relative Podcast. Bye. Everything's Relative with Eve Sturgis is produced by Kaylin Egan and Eve Sturgis. Eve is a licensed therapist in the state of California, but conversations on this podcast are not therapy sessions. This podcast is edited by Stephanie DeLonzik, the logo design is by Ivy McNally, and the music is used with permission by Goodbye the Band. Hi, I'm Michelle Veray. And I'm Kimberly Trung, and we are the host of Crush Fictionally, a podcast all about your favorite fictional characters from movies, TV shows, and more. Each episode, we pick a theme, curate a list of characters that we love, why we love them, and some fun facts about the people who created them. So if you've ever felt a true connection with a fictional character, tune in to Crush Fictionally on Campfire Media or wherever you find your podcast. Campfire.